Church, you can have a seat. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, good, good, good. Hey, LifePoint family, welcome back. Uh, guests, we're thrilled that you're here with us. If it is your first time here at LifePoint, thanks so much for joining us on Easter Sunday. My name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. And uh, guests, we hope to just kind of help you through the time together this morning. So there are some QR codes on the chairs in front of you. If you uh, have a minute, just take your smartphone. You're allowed to have that out in church and uh, point it at that QR code or just type in lpguest.com. That'll take you to a resource we've developed for you. All the scriptures for this morning will be up on the screens. Some of the major message points will be there as well. Uh, but at lpguest.com, you can follow along in the notes there and you can take notes as well. LifePoint family, if you have the app, you know where all that stuff probably is already. But just a reminder, you can take notes and send those to yourself uh, later just for reference. Um, we're uh, grateful again to be uh, celebrating uh, Resurrection Sunday. We are doing so at the end of our Ascent series. So we've been in this series, we've been calling The Ascent, and we've been kind of moving through the mountaintop moments of Scripture looking over these different mountaintops. So uh, again, if you've been here, you know this, but a little recap. We started all the way back at uh, Isaac and Abraham and uh, showing how God provided this sacrifice in the place of Isaac. We moved forward to Mount Sinai and to Moses and the giving of the law. And we kind of moved through then to Elijah the prophet and the showdown with the prophets of Baal and then to the Mount of Temptation in the wilderness with Christ. And then sort of all along, Something that we've seen and something that I've said many times, if you've been here at LifePoint, you, you've heard me say this, right? That the Old Testament is not just a series of disconnected stories, but rather it's one story, a lot of stories all pointing forward to one story at the end. It's, it's all these people pointing us forward to one person. And it's all these mountains pointing us forward to this one mountain, to the Mount of Calvary, the hill on which Christ, the Son of God, would die in your place and in mine. And we just sang about this a moment ago. We said, right, man of sorrows, lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Hallelujah, God be praised, he's risen from the grave. And I, I point that out to say this, those are, <clears throat> those are past tense statements, right? This man who died, this man who rose again, this man on, who took our sin and put it on himself, and that's so important. I, I can't overstate how big of a deal that is. Um, if, if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, um, most likely what you've heard about the faith is that, hey, here's a bunch of things you need to do, or let's be honest, far too often, right, believers, it's, it's here are all the things you need to stop doing in order to be a follower of Jesus. And of course, there are things that we do and things that we don't do in order to guard and grow our relationship with Christ. But if you're here and you're not a believer, and if you're here and you are a believer, you need to hear this, that Christianity at its heart, it is not primarily good advice, but good news. And there's a difference. It's not primarily good advice, but good news. And that's so critical because as far as I can tell, it's what sets it apart from every other world religion that I know of and every other really secular philosophy. There are a million voices in your life and in mine, some religious and some secular, telling you, here's what you need to do in order to be a good person. 
here's what you need to not do or do in order to be saved, in order to be righteous, in order to be good. And I'm, I'll give you just a few, but you could add to this list, right? Here are the religious activities you need to do. You need to attend this service. You need to perform this ritual. You need to visit this temple or holy site. You need to give this amount of money. You need to be very moral. Maybe it's just secular, right? Like serve here, be tolerant, lose weight, get in shape, go vegetarian, no vegan, save the planet. And, and there's a lot of things that are, they're not bad things. They can be good things. But at the end of the day, it's a chorus of voices telling you, here's some advice on how to live your life and the things you need to do or don't do to be good, to be moral, to be righteous, to be enough. Christianity is fundamentally different because it's not, here's what you need to do in order to work your way to God. It is, here's what God did in order to get to you. Here's what God did in the past in order to rescue you. He sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross and who rose again. That's what we're celebrating this morning. We're gonna talk about the cross and the resurrection. We'll start at the cross and we'll move to the empty tomb. And I hope that you just see those things really clearly. That man, this is good news. Something that's happened that changes you and me. Luke 23. We're going to start in verse 32, and uh, I'll give you the context. Jesus has been arrested, falsely accused. He's gone through a complete sham of a trial. He's been, right, these wild accusations against him. So then uh, he's put through a whipping or what's, what's called Roman scourging. And sometimes people didn't even survive the scourging let alone make it to the crucifixion. So uh, our lead pastor Dean talked about this at our Good Friday services. The cat of nine tails they would use for scourging had pieces of bone and metal and glass embedded in it so that it more effectively would just rip someone's body to shreds. He was spit on, mocked, and the crown of thorns shoved into his head. And so he's virtually unrecognizable at this point. And then they take him out along with criminals walking up the hill the Mount of Calvary to be crucified. And so we pick up in verse, this is what Luke tells us in verse 32. He says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Multiple of the gospel authors note, right, that he was crucified with criminals, with thieves on his right and on his left. And you kind of wonder like, why, why do they make such a big deal of that? Why do they point that out? Isaiah 53, if you're not a believer, I would, I would encourage you, challenge you, maybe go read Isaiah 53, right? N- nobody denies, nobody disputes that Isaiah 53 was written a long time before uh, Jesus was ever born, ever walked the earth, right? People debate like how long, but nobody's saying it was, it was written after. In Isaiah 53, it is this stunning description, this prophet Isaiah speaking about this person who's going to come, this suffering servant who is going to bear the sins of the people, and he's going to take away their transgression, and by his wounds, they're going to be healed. And one of the things that he says in verse 12 is that this person would be numbered with the transgressors, that he would be counted with the criminals, that his death would be with the transgressors, even though he had done nothing wrong. And so here Luke and other authors are telling us, man, here it is. The Son of God crucified with the criminals. Verse 33, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So they take the sinless Son of God and they put nails through the nerve centers of his hands, his wrists, his feet, and they hang him up on the cross until, crucif- or until suffocation or simply the pain itself of the process kills him. 
My understanding is that the Romans, in describing, right, the pain of crucifixion, they literally had to invent a new word. So they took X, right, the Latin word X, and, or the prefix, and they put it onto uh, their word for crucifixion, X meaning out of, right? So, so literally the, the pain that comes out of crucifixion. And it's where we get our word excruciating, right? Literally a new word invented just to describe the horrible nature and the pain of the process of being crucified. This form of death sort of perfected, if I can say it that way. Which I think should raise the question for us, Knowing that that's what it was like, why did Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, who is the son of God and the king of the universe, who clearly has the power if he wanted to, to circumvent the, I mean, he could have just called angels down, hey, we're we're ending this right now. Why does he endure this? Why does the hero of our faith come in this form and choose to die in this way? Why does he take on the sin of man and the wrath of God against sin? Why does he endure the pain? We get some insight. Just just a chapter before this, in chapter 22, Luke 22, Jesus is in a garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and it's this moment of testing in his life right before he's about to go to the crucifixion. It's sort of this like last chance, right? If you want to, and he prays to the father so fervently that his blood vessels burst and his sweat and his blood begin to mingle. And he asks God, he says, Father, if there's any other way, if it's possible, take this cup from me. It's a phrase that means, right, if there's any other way, can we do it? And yet then he says, what? Not my will, but your will be done. And the answer is, right, there is no other way. It was the will of the Father to crush the Son in your place and in my place. There's no other way for sinners to be saved, for you and I, broken by sin, to be reconciled to God, to have that sin removed from us, other than Jesus taking the punishment that we deserved in our place. And I just, in light of that, knowing, okay, that's why Jesus comes, and that's why he endures the cross. That's why he goes under that for you and for me. I want to ask this question, what does that say? What does the cross say about God and about us? What does the cross, the crucifixion, the Son of God giving his life for your sin and mine, what does that say about us and what does that say about God? Many things, but let me give give us just a couple. It says about us, and this is going to be hard to hear, but it says about us that we are far more sinful than we ever thought and that that sin is really serious. In fact, far more serious than we ever dared think. The Bible makes it very clear that the wages of sin is death, that the consequences of our sin, our rebellion against God is death. That's why Jesus is hanging on the cross. That's why there's no other way. Jesus comes and says, I'm taking the punishment you deserved and I deserved on myself. And if we're honest, if you really hear that and understand that, that sin is that serious and that I'm that riddled with it, it's kind of offensive. (laughs) I think ultimately it should be humbling and then joyful because you celebrate that as we'll talk about here in a moment, that God loved us this way, but I think in, in some ways it's first kind of offensive because if we're honest, many of us, we hear that and think, I'm not that bad. <laughs> sin is not that big of a deal. Certainly my sin is not, maybe someone else's, but not my sin. I, just being honest with you, and I've shared this, if you're part of our church, you've probably heard me say this before, but for a long time in my life, I looked at my sin and I would read the scriptures and I would see the wages of sin is death. And it's like, man, it appears to be very serious and weighty. But if I'm honest, I kind of thought, I don't really feel like my sin deserves death. I feel like it deserves more of like a divine hand slap. 
this sort of idea that like, God, I know you've called me to be perfect as you're perfect. And you tell me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor. Now, if you really think about that, you're like, oh my goodness, I fall miserably short. But in my thinking, I was like, I feel like I'm getting like an A minus, right? Like not a hundred percent, but I feel like I'm doing well. Some of us, you don't resonate with that at all. You're here today and you're like, Kale, I feel like I'm getting an F minus in life. My life is a string of bad decisions and mistakes and regrets. And I want you to know if that's how you feel today, (laughs) Jesus was an A plus in your place. He was perfection in your place. And his perfect life can be credited to your account today. And his death on the cross can pay for your sin today. And my prayer for you has been that you will leave here today a different person because you will begin seeing yourself through the eyes of Christ rather than through the lens of your failures. You'll see Christ's love for you. Some of us though, you, you resonate with what I'm saying. You, you've got the, I'm a good person syndrome, like me. And there's this thing in you that sort of bucks against this idea that, hey, you're a sinner in deep need of a savior. The longer I have followed Jesus, the more I have begun to appreciate the weight and depth of his grace on my life. And I think part of that growing appreciation is that I've begun to understand more and more the depth and the weight of my sin and the ugliness of it. And that, hey, I'm not as good as I thought. So, so here's the, the, this, the gospel really is good news, I promise. It's good news. Christ has saved you. He's risen again. He can r- raise you to new life. But it comes with some hard news on the front end. And that is looking at you and looking at me and saying, hey, I'm not a good person in my own strength. And you're not a good person in your own strength. You and I, right, the problem of our lives is our sin, our brokenness before God, our rebellion against him. And we are in deep need of grace and forgiveness. We are in need of someone better than ourselves to come in and stand in the gap for us, to live the life that we couldn't live, to meet the standard we couldn't meet, and to die in our place on the cross, to take our sin and to wash us clean. Now, that's what it says about us. What does it say about God? It says about us that we're far more sinful than we ever dared think, that sin is more serious than we ever dared think, but it also tells us that God is far more loving and that we are far more loved by him than we ever dared hope. You see, the fact that God would send his own son would look at sinners like you and me in all of our failings and all of our running away from him, and he would send his own son running after us It tells us that he's not only just, yes, does he punish sin? Yeah, that's why Christ is dying on the cross. He's taking that punishment on himself. But he's also love, that he's doing that in our place in order to rescue and save and forgive us. That's what the apostle John tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans. He says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you and for me. Now, here's where I want to lean into this a little bit. Our response to the giving of of his son matters. When you ask, hey, what what do I do with that? Okay, your response to God's love displayed for you on the cross, it 
matters. And so I want you to look with me at Luke 23, verse 39, down to 43. We've got two, these two criminals, right, on Jesus' left and right. And in some ways, I think they are instructive for all of us about, hey, how do we, how do we see Jesus and how do we respond to him? It says this, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Right? If you are, you say you are. Get off the cross and get us out of this mess. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's, to be honest, I get really excited when I read this and it's hard for me not to get ahead of myself, but there's so much here. But let me just try to summarize it. These, these two guys represent, again, our response, these one of two responses to the gospel. This second guy has such a good understanding of the gospel. He's come to this moment of clarity of, man, I deserve to be here because of my sin and you don't deserve this at all, Jesus, but will you have mercy on me? The, the first guy he, he represents that, look, you've, we've lived our lives in rebellion against God, our own way, saying not thy will be done, but my will be done. And then even to our death saying, and I'm going to still stiff arm God. In fact, uh, it's said, this is probably legendary, but the way the story goes is that Joseph Stalin, right, who was the uh, dictator of uh, Soviet Russia, the USSR in the uh, early part of the 20th century and into the mid part of the 20th century, an avowed atheist. And you hear some you know, stories sometimes that people kind of hit their deathbed and there's this real change of heart. It's said that on his deathbed, he was literally still shaking his fist at the heavens. And it's kind of that picture of the first thief, this idea of I'm going to live my life my way. And God, if he exists at all, <laughs> I'm going to the grave in defiance of him. And then you've got the second thief, all right? And, and this is really important. Neither one of these guys have lived a good life. Neither one of these guys are going before the Lord going, here's my resume, God. <laughs> That's not true for you and it's not true for me. We're not gonna stand before the King of Kings and say, I did a lot of great stuff. Rather, you say, well, how then can anyone be saved? It's what this guy does and it, it, what he understands what Jesus did for him right here. He says, Jesus, I know I deserve to be here. I know that my sin is great and that you are perfect. Oh, Jesus, will you have mercy on me? And just note the ridiculous nature of that ask. A sinner coming before the Lord and saying, I know I don't deserve anything, God. I know that I've failed. I know that I've sinned and you've done nothing wrong, Jesus. I believe you're the king of the universe. Will you remember me personally when you come into the kingdom? And then note the ridiculous answer that Jesus gives. Jesus says, Yes, when you humble yourself and you genuinely ask for forgiveness and you say, God, I know it's not because of anything I've done, but because of what you've done and your perfect life in my place and your death on the cross to pay for my sin, will you remember me personally in your kingdom when any sinner prays that genuinely before the Lord? Jesus' answer is yes, today with me in paradise. What is your response before the Lord? What's your heart attitude before God? I, I plead with you 
today. Some of us, right, your life right now, it is that stiff arming of God. And I'm pleading with you today to lower the defenses, to humble yourself and just receive, ask and then receive his mercy, stunning mercy into your life. Joby Martin, I've mentioned Joby a number of times. He wrote a book called If the Tomb is Empty. It's a good book. I would recommend it. Uh, it's part of what kind of inspired this series for us. But he just, he's got a statement in there that I thought was so good. He reminds us of the, the radical nature of grace and why as Christians, we don't look at anyone else and think, you know, I'm better than you. He's like, guys, this is not about who's good people. Who are, good, who are the good people? He says it this way. He's like, look, who is it that gets into heaven? Good people? forgiven people. Heaven is filled not with good people, but with forgiven people. People who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, shed for them at the cross. Say, so how do I know I'm going to stand before God someday and I'm going to be made right with him? It's you recognize your spiritual condition. You humbly but boldly ask Jesus, will you forgive me? I'm not going to justify my sin or rationalize it. I'm just trusting you and I'll be justified by what you did for me. Jesus, will you remember me personally when you come into your kingdom? And such is the authority and power of Jesus that he and only he has the ability to look at you and say, yes. And such is his goodness and his kindness that he chooses to. He says, when you humble yourself and you ask for that forgiveness, it is yours. A new life right now. If we're honest, right? So some of us, you hear that and you're like, that's cool. Some of us still don't believe it. And probably for a multiplicity of reasons, but for some of us, it's because you just, because of what's happened in your life, because of the decisions you've made, because of the regrets you have, you, you, you might even believe this for someone else. You're like, I believe it's true for them. <laughs> I believe grace could save them. Maybe you even pray for that. You're like, oh God, you know, save my friend or my son or my daughter or my friend, my coworker. But when it comes to you, You've got this thing in you that's like, yeah, I just, grace doesn't apply to me. Sometimes in meeting with people over the years, I've heard, I've heard people will say to me, like, I just can't forgive myself. And I, I hear and I understand and I try to sort of lead them to this place to say, look, you, you, it's not really about you forgiving you. It's about you accepting that Jesus has forgiven you. God is the one who forgives. Your sin is against him. So when he looks at you, when the God of the universe looks at you and says, it's paid for, accept it, receive it, and move forward. In fact, some of us today, we just need to embrace John 19.30, Jesus' final words on the cross. John tells us as this, it is finished. It's finished. And the Greek word for that can also be translated paid in full. This debt that's paid in full. So some of you, you're sitting here, yeah, but Kale, I hurt my children with my words with my actions, with my absence. If you've humbled yourself and asked Jesus for forgiveness, it's paid in full. Yeah, but Kale, I abandoned the spouse I promised to love. If you handed that over to the Lord and asked his forgiveness, it's paid in full. Yeah, but Kale, I wasn't there when my friend needed me the most. I took advantage of that person. It's paid in full by the blood of Christ. Yeah, but I cheated at work. I lied. I walked away from God willingly is paid in full by the blood of Christ. Anywhere you are today, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you today, if you will turn from sin, trust Jesus with your life, it's paid in full by the precious blood of Christ. And I just want you to embrace that today, to understand, right? Some of you, you 
Gail, you don't know my life. No, I don't. I don't. But there are a lot of people here, self-included, that we can look back at our lives and say, man, we've, we've done some pretty terrible things, things we are ashamed of, we're not proud of, and Jesus forgave us. And this guy on the cross, I'm pretty sure you, ha- you haven't outdone him. <laughs> He's on the cross saying, my life was not just bad, it was criminal. I deserve to be on death row. And Jesus forgives him. You haven't outdone him and you haven't outdone grace. And today you can walk out of here with a clean slate, washed clean and made new. Now, if I were you at this point in time, I'd be asking, and that sounds great. How do I know that it's true? How do I know that I can really trust this Jesus, this man who claims to have the authority to look at me and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Here's how you know, Luke chapter 24, verses one through seven. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. These are the, the women who had followed Jesus. And just note, right? Not, none, of, none of the women, none of the disciples, uh, they're all, none of them are expecting the resurrection, right? It's one of the things, I think, compelling things about the Christian faith and the Christian message is it's not like they were all gathered around the tomb, you know, here it comes. They go there with spices thinking like, he's dead. Of course he's dead. He was crucified. But what they find is something different. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. I asked the question, how do you know? You know because when the women went to the tomb, there was no body. Dead saviors can't help you, right? If, if Luke 24 would read and they went to the tomb, they found his body and they prepared it with the spices and then they left, nothing changes, Nothing changes. You're still in your sin and so am I. And ultimately Jesus was just a a guy who claimed some stuff and then he died apparently in a misguided notion of showing us how much he loves us. But if he's dead, nothing really changes. But if he's alive, because he's alive, because he rose from the grave, God raised him from the grave and because the tomb is empty, it means the cross worked. And he is who he says he is. And he did exactly what he said he can do. And he can wash you clean. And he can forgive you. And he can give you a new life. I've said it this way pretty much every Easter. I'm going to keep saying it. The empty tomb validates the cross. The empty tomb. The resurrection validates the crucifixion. It shows us that Jesus is who he says he is. And when you trust him, you're stepping onto a firm foundation. You're not stepping onto just positive feelings, right? Sometimes, sometimes we do that as Christians, right? Where it almost sounds like we're just saying, hey, just, just be positive, right? Our faith is not about just unfounded positivity. Our faith is about joy rooted in a historical reality that Christ died and rose again. And in the hands of Jesus, the resurrected Savior, even the worst circumstances of our lives, like being in a hospital bed for months, as Justin talked about, Jesus can take and he can turn it around and use it for his good or for his glory and for our good. So I wanna close with this. I wanna summarize all of this in two sentences. Ready? Because Jesus died for sin, 
you can be forgiven. Because Jesus died for sin, you can be forgiven. And because Jesus rose again, you can rise with him. Because Jesus rose again, you can rise with him. And I want to I wanna just speak to two groups here. I do this a fair bit, right? So some of us, you know what's coming, right? But I'll, I'll say for those of us who are here today and you know and love Jesus, you would claim to be a Christian. My hope is that you leave here just celebrating like crazy. Celebrating. If you really believe this, you're saying all my sin washed away, my debt paid in full, my eternity changed, and I'm a new person in Christ. That never gets old. If you've really experienced the grace of God, it changes you from the inside out and it never gets old. In fact, the longer that you follow Jesus, it, it just gets sweeter and deeper and richer. And I would encourage you, if you're here today and you're going, man, I, I don't know that I've experienced that, then maybe you need to start a conversation today. Maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord or go find a trusted Christian brother or sister and talk that through with them. Or maybe you just need to ask God, God, I've gotten distracted. Help plant my eyes and fix my eyes back on you today and what you've done. Because there's a lot of distractions and a lot of voices and the one you need to hear is his. If you're here today and you don't know and love Jesus, I wanna just speak to you for a moment. If you're here today and you've never started this relationship with Christ, my guess is, that maybe you're here today. I don't know all of what brought you here today, but my guess is somewhere inside of you, you've identified there is a problem. That if I were sit down, to sit down with you and just say, how's life going? You wouldn't say, it's perfect in every way. But rather you would say, man, I, I feel something is wrong. And maybe you can't identify it exactly. Maybe you can't place your finger on it. But maybe what's true of you is you've also thrown everything you know at it to try to solve it. Sex romance, money, power, career, everything to try to be liked, to be accepted, to be successful, to be more. And I want to just ask you a question. Is that working? Look at the evidence of your life right now and ask yourself these hard questions. Are you at peace? Are you at rest? Are the results long lasting? Do you lay your head on the pillow at night in peace and do you wake up in the morning with purpose? And if the answers to those questions are really no, if the answer to all of you're like, no, something's wrong and I don't know how to solve it, then maybe God has brought you to a place today where you can hear what I'm about to say. The real problem, the problem at its core is your sin your brokenness before God, and the answer is the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus in your place. And today I am inviting you, I am pleading with you, and maybe God has brought you to the place where you're ready. If not, it's okay. I hope you'll keep coming. I hope you'll keep asking good questions. But maybe God has brought you to the place today where you say, I understand the gospel. I understand, at least in part, what Christ has done for me. And today, I want to take that step to trust him with my life. And I'm telling you, you maybe came in here today not knowing him and no relationship with him. You don't have to leave that way. You can receive forgiveness today. You can be crucified, the old you crucified with Christ today and a new you brought to life 
right now through the power of Christ. All you have to do is you humble yourself and you ask Jesus what that second criminal asked him. <laughs> Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? Let's pray together. Father, this is a real uh, personal moment for folks. So I pray that you would just meet us here and speak to us in the ways that we need to hear. Lord, I pray for those of us who are here today and we know you, we love you, we claim your name over our lives. God, I confess, and I would imagine many people would confess this with me, that while we know those things and we are joyful in you, it is so easy to get distracted. Some of us already, Father, our minds are on all the to-do list for today, the places we need to be, the things that we need to get prepped. And Father, a lot of those things are, are good things. But God, you're the great thing. You're the one, Father, for whom all this is for. And so I just, I ask forgiveness, Lord. And I ask that you would help us today to fix our eyes on you and that you would graciously, patiently, but firmly keep our hearts rooted in your love for us. God, will you empower us and help us to live out the mission you've called us to, to make disciples of every tribe, every tongue, every nation till the day you call us home. As we continue to pray, if, if you're in that second group, right? You came in today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna continue to pray here and, and I want you to consider and think and then if you want, pray with me. Nobody's gonna look at you. Nobody's gonna point you out. But maybe you are at a place right now where you understand the gospel and you wanna take that step to trust Jesus with your life. You're that thief on the cross who this is that moment of clarity for you where you say, man, I know what I deserve. And Jesus, you did nothing wrong. Remember me in your kingdom. I wanna give you an opportunity just to express that to the Lord. You can pray with me. And pray in your own words. Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus in my place. That he lived the life I couldn't live and he died the death that I deserve. And today, no longer will I justify my sin or rationalize my behavior. I'm simply asking for mercy. I'm asking for forgiveness. And I'm placing my life my hope, my future in your hands. Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And thank you, Lord, for saving me. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you continue to work, that you are indeed the same God. And we look forward to the day when we sing with all the saints around your throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.